0: All right, everybody say win the day. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Win the day. We've been in this series from the book from Mark Batterson now. Uh, this is week five, I believe. Uh, just so you know ahead of time, I am going away on vacation. Thank the Lord. I need some rest. I need some downtime. So I'm going to be gone for a week. And that gives an opportunity for Pastor Shane to speak next Sunday, uh, one of my vacation starts. And then the following Sunday, Pastor Ben will speak. So I don't do to prepare a message while I'm sitting and soaking in the sun, okay? And so it would be Pastor Shane, then Pastor Ben. The next two weeks, we're going to step away from the Win the Day series, let them do whatever they'd like. Pastor Shane specifically next Sunday is going to be giving you an update on the, his family's plans and what's been happening there. A lot has happened that we can get behind and get excited for him and for them. And so not only that, he'll be coming and talking more about those tech things. He's been leading our tech Ministry and as he steps away from that, we need all the more volunteer servants in that area so he'll be doing that next week then pastor ben will speak the following week and then i'll come back and we'll finish up win the day and then my plan is to go into a study of first and second thessalonians just so you know ahead of time i'm taking a course right now from dallas theological seminary just on thessalonians and it's good. it's been exciting so i'm looking forward to preaching through those and that'll get us to the holidays we'll finish the holidays and then we'll see what the new year has for us let's go into win the day today would you pray with me let's pray Would you say this prayer in your heart? You don't have to say anything out loud. But God, since there's something for me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something for me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified and may Satan be horrified. In Jesus' name, amen. When the day we have done Several of them, I can't see the thing. There's fly the kite at the bottom. I see kiss the wave, eat the frog. Oh, flip the script. And then today is cut the rope. Cut the rope. And so the big idea this morning is there comes a moment when you need to take a step or a leap of faith. Cut the rope. Let me explain what cut the rope means. And today I'm going to just tell you right up front, uh, I printed out all these things and I just want to read them to you because uh, they're so good I didn't want to leave anything out of the details. So I'm going to do a lot of reading today, but it's so that you get the full story. And the cut the rope story comes from 1853. In 1853, America hosted its first world fair in New York City. The organizers built an expedition hall called the Crystal Palace to showcase the latest and greatest inventions. This is where a man named Elisha Otis stole the show by pulling off a stunt for the ages. Otis was the inventor of the elevator safety brake, but he had a hard time selling his idea to safety first skeptics. So here's what he did. Otis stood on a platform high above the Crystal Palace. He had an axe man positioned above the elevator shaft. Then he yelled loud enough for everyone in the exposition hall, exhibition hall, to hear, Cut the rope! The crowd held its collective breath as the elevator fell a few feet. Otis denounced, All is safe, ladies and gentlemen. All is safe. The safety brake worked as did his sales pitch. When Elisha Otis cut the rope, there were only a few buildings in New York City that were taller than five floors. Anybody know why? People didn't want to walk any more than five sets of stairs, right? Right? And so, uh, why? No one wanted to take the stairs. In 1854, Otis installed an elevator in a building on Broadway, and the rest is history. By 1908, there were 538 buildings in New York City that qualified as skyscrapers. Fast forward 100 years. According to the Otis Elevator Company, the equivalent of the world's population rides an Otis Elevator every three days. Did you know that? The Otis Elevator. I was just in Chicago and uh, got on an elevator with five teenage guys. We were crammed in there, and I said, Somebody look, somebody look, who built this? Is it the Otis Elevator Company? Yeah, yeah. It's, how did you know that? Well, now I know, now you know Mr. Otis. What was his first name? Elisha Otis and his break. And I remember when the door shut, I love doing that thing where you just kind of jump a little bit. You ever do that? How many of you are afraid of elevators? You don't like elevators? Don't get in an elevator with me. Because I like to do that, and making everybody scared. But why be afraid? There's an Otis elevator break, and it will save you. I love that story, and that's why we got to cut the rope. I think it's safe to say that Elijah Otis turned the world upside down. How? There comes a moment when you need to cut the rope. Please hear what I'm about to say. Playing it safe is risky. The greatest risk is taking no risks. One, it maintains a status quo. Two, it leads to something called inaction regrets. How many of you have regrets of something you never did? Yeah, inaction regrets. At the end of our lives, according to psychologist Tom Jilovich, 84% of our regrets... Will be the things that we would have, could have, and should have done, but did not do. It's not the mistakes we've made, as painful as that is. It's the opportunities we miss. Yes, you will miss, you will experience a few fails, a few falls, but cutting the rope is the way we cut the ribbon on our dreams. So we've been going through a lot of things with win the day. This one encourages you to cut the rope, make that choice. Some of those choices can be big moments. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, It's talked about grand gestures. In his book, Deep Work, Georgetown professor Cal Newport talks about a concept that he calls the grand gesture. It takes a different forms. It can be a romantic gesture, like getting down on a knee and proposing marriage. It can be a physical gesture like taking a before picture when starting a diet or exercise routine. It can be a creative gesture like the one one-way missionaries a century ago who would pack their belongings into a coffin instead of a suitcase because they knew they would never return. Simply put, a grand gesture is defining decision, a calculating risk, a self-sacrifice that doubles as a defining moment in your life. A grand gesture. I hate the thought of taking that picture before the workout, right? Before you lose weight. That before picture is is painful. Uh, I I can't imagine. And this is what the missionaries used to do. They used to actually pack their stuff and put it in a pine box and get on a ship, knowing that they were leaving and never coming home. That's a grand gesture to say, "I'm, I'm laying down my life. Wow. When's the last time you made a grand gesture? I remember getting on one knee and proposing. I rented a limousine and my uh, soon-to-be fiance was still a, a senior in college. And I picked her up uh, at the college and took her on a limousine ride. And we got to our bridge. We call it our bridge if you're ever uh, on is it 96, Julie, heading toward 131? If you're on 96, heading toward 131, the last bridge you cross, you look to your right and you'll see the Jackson's Bridge. That, at that time, during our college years, the Bridge was broken down and they were reconstructing it. They were rebuilding that bridge. And so it was closed to street traffic. So I would take Julie on dates there and we would maybe get some fast food and then we'd sit on the middle of the bridge over the Grand River and just sit and talk for hours and eat bad food. And uh so romantic. Uh, so that was our place, and I remember I took her on this limousine ride. And he dropped us off, and we walked out onto this bridge, to the middle of the bridge, and I had a red velvet pillow, and uh, it was given to me by my senior pastor in Battle Creek for the moment. I put the pillow on the ground, I put one knee on the pillow, and I got down and asked her to marry me. Those are grand gestures. How long has it been since you've made a grand gesture in your life to move forward, to fly that kite, to do something out of the ordinary, to change your world or maybe change the world of somebody else near you? Are there habits you need to get rid of that are hurting you? Are there good habits you've never started? Well, then you're never going to make a good habit a God habit unless you fly that kite, unless you make that grand gesture of cutting that rope. The Bible The Bible is full of grand gestures. If only I could find any. Yeah, here it is. Any way you slice it, the genesis, the genesis of the Protestant Reformation, the Civil Rights Movement, the space race were all grand gestures. Why do I say that? On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted nine, uh, a 95 thesis on the doors of the castle church. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus. On May 25th, 1961, John F. Kennedy said we would land a, moon, land a man on the moon and return him safely to the Earth." By the end of the decade, any way you slice it, those were grand gestures. But the Bible is full of them. From Genesis to Revelation, Noah builds a really big boat. Go bigger, go home. Abraham puts Isaac on the altar. Can you imagine that grand gesture? The Israelites circled Jericho for seven days. Beniah chases a lion into a pit on a snowy day and kills it. Esther does a 30-day fast. Elisha burns his plowing equipment. Ezekiel lays on his left side for 390 days. James and John drop their nets. Peter gets out of the boat. Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. Paul shaves his head at Centuria. And the Ephesians build a bonfire to burn their scrolls. Grand gestures. The Bible is full of them. I love the story of Elisha burning his plow. That's what he was doing for a living. He had several of them. He had a kind of a thing going on here. He's got a, 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 what do you call it? A, 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 A big business. And when God calls him to step up and take Elijah's place, he burns the plows. Why would you do that? Well, why would you put your stuff in a coffin and head overseas? You're saying, I'm not going back. Elisha was saying, I'm not going back. I know I've got this stuff and it's really impressive and it's really expensive, but I'm going to burn it so I don't have that moment. If you burn the plows, you don't have to worry about thinking about maybe I'll go back to what I used to do. I think the problem for most of us is we plan on going back to what we used to do. We can lose weight, but we owe yo We'll go back to where we were before, probably with more pounds, right? Somebody recently asked me, have you lost weight? I said, no, I found a lot of it during coronavirus. I don't know about you. Yo-yo diets. It's almost like we don't make a really grand gesture. We will not go backwards. We plan on going backwards. Not according to the biblical examples. Not according to our missionaries who went and gave their lives to serve the Lord. What's our key verse today? Well, it's found in Mark chapter 4. Go ahead and meet me in Mark chapter 4. Open your Bibles. Get a gadget out. We'll head to Mark chapter 4. I'll meet you there in just a minute. The key verse there, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We're going to find out what that's all about as we look into scripture. Mark chapter 4, let's pick up the whole context. I'll read it for you and we'll go back and comment on it. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. They were also, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, "'Teacher, don't you care if we drown?' He got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, "'Quiet, be still!' And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And then it goes into that verse. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Cutting the rope can be scary. It can involve a scary moment. But when you know the Savior, when you know the God who puts sidewalks in the middle of seas, when you know the God who says, I can make mountains as flat as I-80 going through Iowa, that's the God we know. That's the Lord we have. And so when you look back on this passage in Mark four thirty-five, it says, That day when evening came, the disciples said, let us, or he said to the disciples, Jesus said, let us go to the other side couple of things about that. There was a promise there. We're going to leave here, but we're going to get there. That's what Jesus said. Let's go to the other side. He didn't say, Hey, let's get in the boats, go out there and maybe die because the storm's coming. He didn't say that. He said, let's get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. Well, the sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and eight miles wide. I know it's not Lake Michigan or even Lake Superior, but it's a big lake. You can actually see across it on a clear day. I've been there. But they set out as the sun set. Why is that a big deal? It's scary out there. I, mean, I, I like, you like boats, right? And, and you like big water, and you like going way too fast on water. I always give Joe a hard time. But I like boats, I like water, I like water sports. But I will not go on Lake Superior at dark. No way. Too big, too scary. You don't want to leave when the sun's down. And go out on big water. You just don't want to do that. But Jesus told them, "We're going to go. We're going to go from here. We're going to go over there." Then the next verse, leaving the crowd behind them. That's a good principle there for us this morning. If you're going to cut the rope, you're going to need to leave the crowd behind. You're going to need to leave those who refuse to move forward, or those who who think you can't move forward. You're going to, have to leave them behind. There, there came a point when Jesus said, "Get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. We're leaving some behind. We're moving." on, cut the rope, move forward. You know, 142 minutes a day we spend on social media. That's 15% of our waking hours. 15% of our waking hours, we're not leaving the others behind. We're bringing them right onto our front porch. And a lot of us are living off of what we see others respond to. I'm telling you, if you're going to cut the rope, there needs to be some times in your life where you fast social media. In order to cut the rope, you got to leave the crowd behind. Maybe you ought to turn off the news for a day, maybe. And maybe you ought to stay away from it. And and, and by by the way, we should stop right now and pray for the world. It's a crazy, crazy world we're living in. If you watch it 24-7 on the news thing, you'll only get frustrated. You'll only get angry. It's a Debacle, what's happening, and it's a scary thing that's happening. There are not only Americans that are in harm's way, but there are innocent children, innocent mothers who are in harm's way. And you're going to watch this week, and if you do, the Lord be with us all as we watch what happens at the end of this month. So, can I just stop and just say a word of prayer? Father, we know you love people, and there are people in harm's way. And Lord, we, we've been given promises that today there was going to be a tragedy. Lord, I don't know if that's unfolded yet. But we've been made a promise that from now until the last of this month, it's going to be chaos and people will die. People are going to be uprooted from their safety in their homes. And Lord, we don't know what's going to happen the day after August 31st. We don't know what life will be like for those left behind on September 1st. So Lord, we pray. Stay away from the politics and we just pray. Lord, for people. Lord, I pray that you would protect the children, protect the mothers. God, help our, our military families who are mourning the loss. We thank you for their service, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Even though that's a tragedy, there comes a time to cut the rope. you just got to leave some of that behind and not be so focused on What's happening in the news? What's happening on your social media account? So absorbed by how many people are responding to my last comment or my last picture. We just have to stop living. We're living so much with the crowd that we need to step away. Step away from the crowd. Jesus told them, let's leave the crowd behind at this point. And they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boats, so that it was nearly swamped. You need to know about the Sea of Galilee. It's 700 feet below sea level, but it's surrounded by the Golan Heights, which is 2,500 feet above sea level and is susceptible to very sudden and severe storms. The wind comes off of the heights of the Golan and it comes down. It's just like, it's it's why Chicago's called the Windy City. Do Do you know why it's called the Windy City? Because they built those skyscrapers right off of Lake Michigan and the wind comes and hits the building, goes up and comes down like a roller coaster. Sometimes you can be walking between buildings and hit by a gust that'll nearly knock you off your feet. It's the Windy City. Well, this is the Golan Heights. The wind comes over those, you know where the Golan Heights are, that's where the pigs flew. Any biblical scholars? That's where pigs fly. No? Okay, read the Old Testament. Um, and so, or New Testament, New Testament in uh, Matthew, uh, Mark, uh, I don't remember where it's at, but it's so cool where pigs fly. I was on a boat on the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and that was the one question I asked our tour guide. I said, where did the pigs fly? And he just pointed over there, the Golan Heights. The wind comes off of there, and Busts down and creates waves. I saw it happen with my own eyes as I was sitting there eating the St. Peter's fish. Uh, you pay a lot of money to eat a St. Peter's fish right on the Sea of Galilee. Come to find out, it's tilapia. But if you name it St. Peter's fish, you can charge a lot more. I was eating St. Peter's fish on a beautiful sunny evening when all of a sudden the wind came and blew everything off our tables. It was plastic or uh, paper plates and paper cups, and everything was knocked it all off. And we're scrambling and we're grabbing all of our silverwares and stuff. And then I looked out to to the sea what had been a glass sea turned into a tumultuous storm waves four to five feet high at least just like that without any warning and I, I, I actually stopped and I said thank you Lord because that whole day I'd been looking at that sea going really really are there really big storms out here come on the Bible talks about all these storms that come up out of nowhere and then the Lord showed me one and I said oh wow I can't imagine being out on the sea and then all of a sudden you're hit by a storm. Well, my favorite part of the whole passage is the next verse. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Write this down. Take notes. Make sure you have this. Jesus took naps. All done. That's all I need to say. That's all I need to know. I just want to be real. I want to be like Jesus. That's all I want to be. So you come by and find out I'm taking my nap in the afternoon. I'm just being like Jesus. Okay. So Jesus took naps. You know, they say that a 26-minute nap increases productivity 34%. The they in this circumstance is Nassau. Nassau did the research. 26-minute nap, 34% productivity. I think we would be a kinder, gentler nation, a happier, healthier people if we had mandated naps. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Quitting mandating these masks and mandate a nap. Amen. That's what we need to do. We would be a better off. Uh, society the disciples woke him and said to him teacher don't you care if we drown oh how awfully quick to attribute wrong motives and assign blame you know the, here these guys have been struggling probably rowing probably working and all the time they're looking in the stir going he's sleeping why would he wake up and do something and so when they finally wake jesus up they wake him up with blame they wake him up and assign uh um, wrong motives. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So he's taking a nap and of course that means he doesn't care. Not at all. And then of course we know what happens. Jesus immediately gets up and he grabs an oar and he starts rowing, right? He immediately grabs a bucket and starts bailing, right? Because he, he wants to show that he cares. No, he doesn't grab an oar. He doesn't grab a bucket. He simply says three words, peace, be still. I love that. I love that. Jesus got up and the three words, peace, be still. He rebukes the wind and the waves as believers, he's given us some authority to rebuke some things in his name. He's given us authority over disease. And I know that people still suffer and they do die. We have to pray God's will in every situation. But can I just tell you, if we pray and it is God's will, watch out. We can rebuke disease. We can rebuke things like Uh, the disasters that we're seeing here happening as believers he's given us this power whatever you bind on earth will be bound on earth whatever you bind in heaven will be bound in heaven when you go to prayer do not think of that as a moment of weakness that's our moment of greatest strength we go and ask a mighty god to do mighty things and if it is in his will and it is according to his word watch out so what do we rebuke We rebuke hate with love. We rebuke pride with humility. We rebuke cursing with blessing. We rebuke lies with truth. We rebuke injustice with righteousness. We rebuke racism with repentance. And we rebuke the cancel culture with grace. We must rebuke the things that are evil and call for what is good. Sometimes you have to cut the rope in order to do that. Sometimes you're Rosa Park and you will not give up your seat. What's the grand gesture that needs to happen in your life? There's two kinds of grand gestures. Number one, it's called the Field of Dream gestures. Are you aware of the Field of Dreams? It's an old, old movie, right? And you, did you see recently how they've. I want to show you a video of that. Go ahead and run that video Ben put together for us. Maybe this will remind you. Are we concerned? what? Well, that's not a good thing. You get it, you get it ready while I keep going and then just give me a shout out when you, when you got it. The field of dreams, you remember, finish it with me. If you build it, no, you don't, you didn't pay attention to the movie, did you very well? Somebody said it in the front row. If you build it, he will come. It's been changed to they will come because we know that eventually all the crowds came. And it's a guy built a field in the middle of an Iowa cornfield, remember? And he was going to lose his farm. And then and the, the big point of the movie is toward the end, everybody did come. And so everybody changed that line to, if you build it, they will come. But the movie actually says, if you build it, he will come. It was all about his dad and him and his relationship and about playing catch. The whole movie was about that, that moment. And so, and by the way, I don't espouse any of the theology of the movie A Field of Dreams. We don't believe in ghosts coming out of cornfields, especially children in the corn. That just gets really freaky. But, but I do like the idea of a grand gesture moment, like the field of dreams. I'm going to move on to the enough is enough gesture. We need to, uh, at, at some point in our life, not only cut the rope and say, I'm going to build it, I'm going to do it, I'm just going to start it. People might think I'm crazy. That's what I love about that Field of Dreams movie. Everybody thought he was nuts, but he built it. The enough is enough gesture is like it, but it, it states there's a point of no return. It's now or it's never. The Field of Dreams, that's kind of like a Noah's Ark. If you build it, they will come, right? It's kind of like Abraham moving from Haran to Shechem. It's kind of like uh, that little boy's brown bag lunch. That's the field of dreams. Can you imagine that moment of this kid who thought ahead and he's got five loaves and two Mm -hmm. fishes? You ready with that video? Is that my cue? Okay, we're going to show it eventually. That little brown bag lunch that the boy surrendered to Jesus. Why would you do that? Well, if you build it, he will come. If I'll give this, if I'll surrender this, what would Jesus do with it? Do you have that field of dreams gesture in you? How about the enough is enough gesture? Things like uh, David and Goliath. David says, enough is enough. He shows up. He's an undercover king. We know that. They didn't know that. He's just a boy. He shows up. He'd already been anointed king, but he's still a shepherd. And he shows up to bring crackers and cheese to his brothers who are soldiers. And he hears them mocking the true and living God. They see him mocking God. And David boils over. And he, he knows that he's the king of this nation for real, and he's got to do something. So he steps up and says, I'll fight that giant. And the king, who was fogged over in fear, doing nothing, says, well, at least take my armor. And that was a debacle. We know Saul was head and shoulders above every man in the kingdom, and David was just a shepherd boy teenager, 17 years old. So he tries to put on the armor, and it's too big. He says, I don't need this armor. I've got a slingshot and five smooth stones. Why? Goliath had four brothers, by the way. Look it up in the Old Testament. That's why he took five. He wasn't worried about missing. He just making sure that if the family comes after me, I'll take them out too. He was ready. That's a grand gesture moment, but that's enough is enough moment. And then there is Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Remember Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael? You know him a Shadrach, Meshach, and a bean to go out in Lake Oregon. You know them. Yeah. That's enough is enough moment, too. There's a moment when you don't bow. There's a moment you get thrown into the fiery furnace. There's a moment in Scripture when all these grand gestures take place. So let's go ahead and look at that Field of Dreams video now that they got that ready. I have just created something totally illogical. That's what I like about it. If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. If you build what, who will come? Didn't say. I hate it when that happens. Me too. Who's hearing voices? Ray is. I think I know what "if you build it, he will come" means. Ooh, why do I not think this is such a good thing, Daddy? There's a man up there in your lawn. Are you a ghost? What do you think? you look real to me. Hi, you can see. It. This is really interesting You believed in the magic, it happened, isn't that enough? Annie, it's more than that I feel it as strongly as I've ever felt anything in my life There's a reason Go the distance Did you hear the voice too? Did you hear it? Go the distance Yes Our grave is dead, he died in 1972 Are you Moonlight Graham? No one's called me Moonlight Graham in 50 years Unbelievable It's more than that, it's perfect You build a baseball field in the middle of nowhere and you sit here and you stare at nothing. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good. Hey, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta, Burt Lancaster. Sometimes, when you believe the impossible, The incredible comes true. Field of Dreams. That was then, and this was a couple of weeks ago. No, no, don't stop there. Come on, show me my video. Come on, now. Come on, that's my favorite part. Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta. Sometimes, when you believe the impossible... The incredible comes true. Field of dreams. Anybody watch this baseball game happen? Did you see that? Anybody see this? This My favorite part right here. Kevin Costner got to the field years after the movie was filmed. He showed up to look at it. It was a beautiful moment when he replayed a line during the movie when he looked around and he said, it's perfect. There was a line in the movie when somebody said, it's incredible. And he said, no, it's perfect. And he replayed that in the moment when he first got there that day to look at the field. The field of dreams, if you build it, he will come. Sometimes you have to make that grand gesture, a field of dreams gesture, a enough is enough gesture. So we get to cut the rope. Here's two keys to cutting the rope and we'll be done today. Number one, I must kneel down. How do you cut the rope? First thing, we need revival. We need revival. The first part of cutting a rope is getting on your knees and going to the Lord. Again, if it's in his will, if it obeys his word, watch out and see what the Lord will do. You do the the natural, he'll do the super. We've got to cut the rope. The second part is I must stand up. There comes a time when you, uh, the moment comes when you either stand or you will bow. Got to leave the crowd behind. Some of you are holding off on dreams and and good things in your life because you're too afraid to step forward, to take that step. Sometimes it's a crazy leap of faith. Well, I'm here to encourage you, cut the rope like Otis did and have faith, have faith. Rodney Gypsy Smith was born on the outskirts of London in 1860. He never received a formal education, yet he he lectured at Harvard. Despite his humble origins, he was invited by two sitting United States President to the White House. Gypsy crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times, preaching the gospel to millions of people. And he never preached without someone surrendering their life to the Lordship of Christ. Gypsy was powerfully used by God. Everywhere he went, it seemed like revival was right on his heels. But it wasn't his preaching that brought revival. Preaching may move the hearts of men, but praying moves the heart of God, and that's where revival comes from. Gypsy revealed his secret to the delegation of revivalists who sought an audience with him. They wanted to know how they could make a difference with their lives the way he had with his. His answer was simple yet profound. As timely as timeless now, and it was a hundred years ago, he gave them this advice. Go home, lock yourselves in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. There on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. Prayer is the difference between us fighting for God and God fighting for us. We need revival, but revival can only start with you. You can't make revival happen outside of you. I agree with Gypsy Smith. Get on your knees, draw a circle there and start praying feverishly. Lord, start a revival and do it within this circle. Do it here. To stand up, Martin Luther King is a good example. On January 30th, 1956, Martin Luther King Jr. was speaking at First Baptist Church when he was interrupted and told his house had been bombed. That night, he was sitting at his kitchen table and he heard a voice that said, Martin, do not be afraid. Inspired by that experience, Dr. King took a stand. Quote You may be 38 years old, as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you are afraid. And you refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You're afraid that you will lose your job, or you are afraid that you will be criticized, or that you will lose your popularity, or you're afraid that somebody will stab you, or shoot at you, or bomb your house. So you refuse to take a stand. Well, you may go on and live until you're 90, but you're just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the cessation of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an earlier death Of the Spirit. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. I'll leave that on the screen. Ask our team to come and we'll close you out. Father, I pray. So much needs to happen in our world, so much needs to happen in our nation. So much needs to happen in our community. So much needs to happen at Oakwood Community Church. And God, we're thrilled for the the day of small beginnings as as we rejoice over the lift that's been installed in the stairwell so that people can get downstairs and work with the children that haven't been able to do so in the past. And we're thankful for the beautiful black dirt we see where a Ugly house, sorry to say it, once stood. And we're excited to see a space that has begun in our basement for our student ministries. God, we're so excited for the day of small beginnings, and we trust you to do a big thing in those locations. But God, I pray that each of us in our own lives would be willing to look inside and cut the rope. What's holding us back? What are we afraid of? Do we not trust you, Lord? Lord, And God, I pray that today out of this room come some grand gestures, some people willing to cut the rope and fly that kite and say, God, I'm going to move forward in this direction. And God, I pray that they would see great success. And you are the way maker, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us.